Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings, demigods and half-bloods. Welcome in to Comic Book Nation's Riptide Radio, your Percy Jackson after show. On today's show, we're diving into all things episodes one and two of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. The long four-year wait is finally over. We get to talk about this show in full in-depth detail. And beyond that, we have showrunners Dan Schatz and Jonathan Steinberg and director James Bobin coming in for an episode commentary later in the show and another sneak little exclusive interview at some point in our episode one discussion. Keep an eye out for that. Anyways, I'm your host, Liam Crowley from comicbook.com, and I am joined alongside by Miss Nicole Drum. Nicole, it would be so easy to ask you how you're doing, but I can already tell from your beaming smile that we're elated that we're finally here for Percy Jackson season. So a more interesting question, who is your godly parent? Oh, I love this question. Um, I think my friends who have also read the books and are big Percy Jackson fans, but also know me very well, would be very upset if I didn't say Poseidon because I'm an ocean girl. I'm a Californian girl. I love the water. I've literally jumped out of a moving car to get to the water before. So um, I have to say Poseidon, even though I know the dangers that come with that. So So maybe in another life we're related because I've done the quiz before and I've gotten Poseidon as my godly parent, but I more often get Apollo. And I feel like that's more that's more unique. So, I mean, I love music. I love the sun. Uh, I love chariots. So, sure, I'll, I'll rock with being a son of Apollo on this show. But let's waste no further time, Nicole. Let's get into all things episode one. This is a unique episode of Riptide Radio kicking off uh, this seven-week run because we're talking about two episodes this week. But we're going to break this discussion down into each individual one. We'll start with episode one, Percy and his route to getting to Camp Hafla. But first, we start at Yancey Academy. Nicole, I want to go to you right off the bat. Right off the bat, what was your overall impression of this episode and getting reintroduced to this world of demigods and monsters? I absolutely loved this episode. Like, you know, I'm very familiar with the books. I love the books dearly. And I was very concerned going into it. Like, when you when you go into something you know and love, you're always like, how are they going to approach it? And this first episode felt brand new to me and familiar at the same time. And I just, I am just from the start, I felt like I was being welcomed in on a journey that was both new and familiar. And I just loved the way the episode opens. I love getting to trace into that story. And then we get into the action. And I just love everything about it. I, I My heart kind of like started pulling in a direction that I didn't expect it to right away. Like I felt so, I, I just felt for Percy right away. And I just loved it. Like it was just, it was perfect. I felt, it felt perfect to me. I love hearing that. This has been touted as one of the better pilots Disney Plus has ever produced. And I mean, I feel like I'm going into the show with a lot of bias. I want to love this thing more than anything else. But it's hard not to objectively just praise what this mm-hmm pilot did because we're going to talk about it later uh, with the showrunners and director on uh, the commentary but the pacing is so strong mm-hmm. like we kick things off right away we're at yancey academy but we also get to have some flashbacks of younger percy yes. uh and then by the end of the episode itself you know spoiler territory this is your after show uh we assume you've all watched the episode he ends up at camp 
in the in the final frame. And so the fact that we don't waste any time uh, getting into the mythological side of this world, I think is a very smart decision because even though we have the luxury of playing with eight episodes, we want to play with as much world of demigods and monsters as possible. Yancey Academy is all fine and well, but we want to get things moving and get on that quest. And I think they did a really solid job of keeping the train moving. Mm. Uh, Nicole, uh, a question for you uh, beyond that to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty. What was your most memorable moment? What stuck out for you the most? What's that scene that you're going to replay over and over and over again? The Minotaur. The Minotaur. Like everything from the moment we know the Minotaur is imminent to right there where the Minotaur is defeated. That that whole sequence. Like, first of all, Minotaurs are cool. Like, I don't think they get enough credit for being cool. Like, they just are such forces. They pulled this off so well. And I was just like, I I was blown away. Like it in your mind, you paint a picture of things. This obliterated anything I could have imagined of what a Minotaur on a TV series would look like in that level. And I was, for me, that's I'm going to go back to that. I've actually gone back to that three times because it's just such a cool sequence. All of it. Like, I, I hope more people love and hate the Minotaur at the same time. Like, I, I really do. Just so cool. The character design of the Minotaur was awesome. Uh, and I mm. love how they went book accurate. They gave him the underpants as well. Uh, I, and I love the duality of, of when the Minotaur is more man than bull and he's standing up and, he, and he's kind of hulking up. And then other times when he's charging. And this sequence was was no easy feat uh, for the Percy Jackson crew to, to shoot. Uh, you know, we might only see it on screen for a total of maybe two or three minutes in terms of yeah. Minotaur's screen time. But this thing took months and months and months to perfect. Uh, and I actually had the chance to speak with the director of photography, Mr. Pierre Gill, about just how they accomplished bringing this Minotaur scene to life. Check it out. The Minotaur was actually um, some stunt guys with a big bull head, a big blue head on there chasing <laughs> Percy and Percy was fighting with them. So it's actually pretty cool. And Percy, had, uh, ja uh, Percy. Uh, Walker had a lot of fun uh, doing this. So some sequence, sometimes it's a mechanical mechanical bull and, and the walker is on top of it, like trying to kill the, the minotaur. So <clears throat> it's all these little pieces that we have to build and, and think about and do prep and meetings and, oh, how do we do this part? Oh, this part, this part. So when you look at this two-minute sequence, for us, it's like two months of like figuring out how to put these pieces together and try to to make sure they, they all work together. So as you can tell, this was nothing that they just shot overnight and just kind of fixed up in post-production. There were mechanical bulls involved. There was practical elements involved. There was the volume stage involved. So many different things to get this scene right. And I think that's so crucial because even though in the grand scheme of things, I feel like a lot of people are going to forget the Minotaur scene only because of the fact that we have eight episodes total mm -hmm. and it's the first of many great action scenes. This is the action tone setter. And I think it was really crucial to nail that to show just how much effort we're putting into this series. This is sure tailored towards kids. It's a young adult franchise, but that doesn't mean they're going to shy away from the big action at play. Yeah. And I think this scene also sets a, a lot of the stakes as well. I mean, we, we see what happens to Percy's mom. And, and obviously we learn more about that as the series continues. But that I... As someone who, again, familiar with material, know what's coming. Even I had a moment of going, did they just go there? Did they did they really just go there? Like, I, I was, like, concerned. And 
this really does it sets the tone for it sets not only the bar for everything that's coming action wise because this this is a story with big action and big pieces but it sets the tone for the stakes as well because there are real stakes to this story and this this first episode pulls no punches it compresses a lot of the information throws you right in and that minotaur scene tells you to buckle up because this is not slowing down and i love that i love that we get that so strong right out the gate with such a cool sequence that just changes everything. Mm -hmm. And let's let's work our way backwards a little bit here because you mentioned the stakes and a big thing for me, I say this in all of my, my movie reviews, my TV reviews, two things a project has to land in order for me to fully enjoy it is it has to have emotion and it has to have stakes. If you're missing either of those two elements, it's hard to fully immerse yourself in this. Mm -hmm. And the Minotaur sequence, as great as the action is, the only reason why it works is because it has emotion and stakes and to work our way backwards you talk about sally jackson the conversation percy has with sally right before she takes his jacket and does a little you know like bull stuff going mm -hmm. on with the jack i forget the word for it uh jousting <clears throat> the, the matador thing matador thing on. that's the word yeah uh the conversation she has right before that with percy <sighs> man hit me to my core mm -hmm. uh just the whole idea of like you are not broken you are my son making grover that that's something that a lot of mm -hmm. people i feel like are going to overlook because of the intimate moment she shares with Percy, the conversation with Grover of promise me, swear to me, you're going to protect my son. I'm getting chills just thinking about I'm it. I'm getting emotional re replaying it in my head. Right? And uh, this is a huge shout out to Virginia Call, who plays Sally Jackson because she brings so many little nuances to this character that, you know, she's maximizing her minute. She's maximizing her screen time, at least in the Lightning Thief book for readers who know. Sally Jackson does not have a lot of page time. So in mm -hmm. order to truly understand why Percy cares for his mom so much and show why he cares for his mom so much, it's up to Virginia Cull as Sally Jackson to bring those little moments. Something that uh, a lot of people I feel like might overlook, something I didn't even notice until my fourth watch of this episode, when they park the car at Montauk, very quickly, she's wiping away tears from her eyes as Percy mm -hmm. wakes up from his nightmare. Little things like that just like sell the emotion. And man, the conversations they have are so strong. And man, is it only amplified by how much we hate Smelly Gabe. Nicole, uh, this this dude, Tim Sharp, I, I told him on the blue carpet, I hated how he was funny because I wanted to hate his guts so much. Uh, well, well, we get into that apartment and we're interacting with Smelly Gabe, uh, Gabe Ugliano or Uliano, as he likes to say. Uh, how, how are you feeling toward, towards that loser at poker? I, you know, I, I hate him as a character, but I love him. I, I loved that performance. Like, I felt so torn. Like, there was, like, when you talk about people who steal the scenes that they're in, that right there, like, just, it was just such a scene-stealing performance for me. Like, I thought that was just absolutely fantastic. But, man, I don't like that guy. I'm, I'm sorry, you're, it's a great performance, but I don't like that guy. <laughs> It's very fair um, to, to work our way back even further. Um, the Yancey Academy, we have a couple moments there. Did you notice when Percy was getting expelled? Did you notice anything? Any characters I on screen? I actually probably did not. Um, okay, what did well, I, no, tell me what I tell me what I missed. <laughs> this is a good thing because it took me like three watches to notice this myself. Uh, right in the middle, I believe, is like the principal headmaster of Yancey Academy. I don't believe that character gets named. Off to the right uh, is Mr. Bruner, a.k.a. Right. Chiron. Off to the left, that mystery teacher, that was Rick Riordan. That was his standing cameo, right? I can't believe I missed that. He was. It was dimly lit. He had no lines of dialogue, and he didn't even like change his facial expression. He was the same the whole time. 
Thumbs up. Exactly. Yeah, seriously. Sneaky thumbs up. But I can't believe that. Now I have to go back because I can't believe I missed that. And something this is, I've been I've been thinking about this over and over again because wow. the Rick Riordan cameo was something we were all expecting in season one yeah. somewhere. And again, I hope it turns into a Stanley situation where he just kind of pops up throughout, throughout the the dichotomy or, or or the stage placing of where he is the fact that he is percy's in the middle mr bruner's off to the right and rick riordan's off to the left sure he's playing a different fictional character he's not literally rick riordan at least we don't think so but mr bruner is percy's mentor figure in the mythological world mm-hmm. and hypothetically speaking is rick riordan not his mentor slash father figure in the real human world that's amazing my mind is blown. The blocking, man. I'm telling you, John, that John, and Dan, blown. the showrunners, they know what they're doing. And I feel like that was a deliberate choice. The details, the details in this show, the, the episode, but the show in general, the details that they've put into this and the way things are just put together. That is what I'm going to have to go back and look at, look for, because now, now I need to see it with my own eyes. That is so cool. That's what I'm saying. A, a full circle thing with this episode before we get into episode two is Percy's relationship with Grover. This is one of the mm-hmm. most crucial friendships to nail in the show because if there's not a dynamic between Percy and Grover, your two male leads, done. the whole thing kind of crumbles apart. And fortunately, Walker and Aryan, you can tell that those guys are, are friends offset. I saw it firsthand. They, they have become very close off screen and it shows on screen uh little nuances i love when they're uh, unpacking their lunches outside of the met uh and uh walker excuse me percy doubles up on the meat in his sandwich while grover's taking the cheese and stuff like that uh the way they just kind of bounce off each other grover getting percy expelled because he knows he's on more of a time crunch now and we got to get him out of the real world quicker little things like that i thought were so crucial to establishing how these two are going to bounce off of each other. Uh, when you're watching Grover and Percy act off of one one another, did it feel like reading The Lightning Thief all over again? It did. It really did. Like I, I was describing this um, when I was talking to someone. I, I described it as it felt like I was turning pages as I'm watching minute by minute. I really felt like I was turning pages. And it just blows my, I can't wait for people to, people have obviously seen it, but like I kept saying, I can't wait for people to see this because especially those of us who have loved and read the book, I wish I'd brought my copy with me. It's literally falling apart. Um, It literally felt like I was living inside the book while I was watching it. This is beyond my wildest dreams of what this could have been. And, you know, we, we've waited for this a long time, a really long time. So it was very much the book coming to life even with the little subtle changes and the compression of a few things, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. I really did feel like the book is, is wrapped around me. I am in it and I am turning the pages as the minutes are going by. And I thought that was such a cool testament to just how well done this first episode is. And it gets stronger as we continue. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad, so cool. to, I'm glad to hear that your book is also falling apart because I think, <laughs> I think it gives a character, you know, like I don't yes. have, I don't have anything in pristine condition that is more than five years old on, on the book front, especially when it's a soft cover book too. It's easy for it to get beat, yeah. uh, get beat up. One thing I did want to touch on though, before we get into episode two is, you know, we're singing a lot of praises right now, but there are things to improve upon in this series. And I feel like something we saw that, you know, we can compare and contrast them because they're, t- they're so similar from a technological standpoint is uh, Electo, the, the fury mm-hmm. that's going after Percy and the Minotaur. The Minotaur, I felt that CGI 
was significantly stronger. And I know Electo is a mix of practical effects and visual effects, but the biggest difference I noticed was the Minotaur is a scene that takes place at night and in the rain. Mm -hmm. So you can mask a lot of the CGI woes with just kind of the, the colors you're playing with. Electo, it's broad daylight. There's not a cloud in the sky. It's coming off the Met steps, this shiny, pearly white and all that. That a little bit, I, I was mm-hmm. kind of fighting a little back and forth of like, ooh, I don't want this to take me out too much. But again, that is one of my only nitpicks of this first episode. If if those are our criticisms, I feel like we're in a really good spot. Yeah, I, and I, kind of, I felt the same way of Electo. I felt like Electo was a little rough, but I, I kind of just let myself dismiss that as like, well, it, it's Electo. Maybe Electo is going to be a little rougher than maybe I've imagined. And, but there's definitely a, I, I had to kind of dismiss that and keep going. And that for me did kind of stand out a little bit, but mm-hmm. as we get deeper, I, I'm willing to, uh, I'm, I'm willing to let that slide. And a great transition though, too, for Electo, the, just the jacket turning into the wings yeah. and everything that I was like, okay, that the, was cool. The transition was cool enough that I was like, I can overlook a little bit of the CGI woes. Uh, one final shout before we get into episode two. I know I keep teeing it up and I keep thinking of more good things to say. <laughs> I know. Uh, as Asriel, who plays young Percy, uh, we had the honor of chatting on the on the blue carpet. Uh, he carries himself like like a 20 year veteran. And I believe this is like his first major project. So shout out Asriel. I thought he was phenomenal. And the good news is we're going to see more of him uh, later in the season in future flashbacks. So uh, if you liked his performance, stay tuned because we're definitely going to get more of it. Uh, Nicole, let's talk about episode two. Yes. Out, of the, out of these two, I feel like that's the crown jewel. I feel like that's mm-hmm. the reason why uh, they're showing these episodes in pairs, right? Like episode one is great and all, yep. but it ends right before we get to the heart of what Percy Jackson is. Episode two, oh my God, uh, I believe it is titled I'll Become Supreme Lord of the Bathroom, which is one of the most iconic chapter titles in Ryan's entire entire bibliography. Uh, Going into this episode, establishing Camp Half-Blood, walking through this mythological world for the first time with Percy, essentially living vicariously through Percy as an audience member. How are you feeling? I I have always said I would much rather go to camp half blood and then to hogwarts but this literally seeing it made me actually be like for, forget a hogwarts letter I, I i want to go to camp like it looks uh, it just looks like such a perfect little summer camp that's like full of crazy and i just loved it like i was blown away i, I mean I, I can't even wrap my head around the scope of it like i know that I know it's a set. I know it's not necessarily a real place that you can go to, but it felt real. It felt like this expansive, it reminded me of places that I've been when I was a kid growing up in like the country and like the hills and like the little, the little outbuildings. It was kind of like, I almost remember like a Girl Scout camp on steroids in a way. Like, and I just like love seeing the houses and the way that things were translated into like the different pieces of this world. And I was just like, I want to go here so bad. Like, how do, how do I sign up? Like, it was just, oh, I was so excited to just jump into that because, you know, yeah, the, the first episode is great. We're getting into the world, but the, the camp is, the camp is what we want. Like we, we want to start meeting these other characters because we get introduced to a really cool character in this episode. So we get to meet Annabeth and I just, oh, they did so good. Like, let's go, Let, let's pack up and go there right now. Like that's, that's how I felt just watching all of that. And uh, earlier this week, uh, I had the honor of attending a fan screening in Boston, which was really cool to, to be in my hometown. Uh, Rick and Becky were there and introduced the screening because they're <sighs> residents of Boston. And 
the crowd erupting when Annabeth said you drool in, you, in, in your sleep, you would have thought it was uh, T'Challa coming out of the portal in Endgame. Like, people went insane for that <coughs> line. And it just goes to show how powerful this fandom is because that is arguably, like, that line is just funny. That line mm -hmm. is just establishing the, the type of relationship Percy and Annabeth are going to have. There's no big plot points at stake. There's no Easter egg towards what's going to happen in the future. It's just purely funny. Uh, and, and the way that the, the theater erupted, I knew that we were in uh, for an absolute ride. Uh, you bring up Annabeth. I think Leah Jeffries is one of the best parts of this show. She captures yes. the essence of Annabeth so well. Yes. And captures specifically the es essence of what I would picture in my mind a child of Athena to be mm -hmm. just the way she carries herself, the way she plays off of the fellow campers, uh, just her, how Luke talks about her. We'll get to Luke in a minute, but yeah, I want to hear, hear more of this praise that you have for Annabeth. What, what about Leah Jeffrey's performance really stuck out to you? Literally everything. And I wrote this even in my review that I think this might be the best, the most perfect casting for a character that I have ever seen. Everything down to the physicality of how, like, the way she physically gets into the character. Like, she wears, the, it's not like she's, like, putting on a character and playing the character. She becomes Annabeth. Like, that line delivery encapsulates everything about the character that I've ever envisioned from the book. And that's not to say anything bad about any previous iteration of the character. It's just that, like, she transforms. Like, it's exactly what you'd expect this character to be it's the attitude the swagger the quiet vulnerability but also that yeah i could kick your butt and i know i could kick your butt and i'm gonna kick your butt get out of my way but it, she's this very real there's this very real everything to the character and I, I was blown away like this probably was the character i wasn't apprehensive about the casting when it was announced because i i trust actors taking on roles until they until an actor takes a role and shows me they're not going to get it right I'm going to trust and believe and be excited for it. But this blew me away. Um, I love the entire young cast in general, but this is my Annabeth. This, this replaces anything I've ever thought about the character because it's just, it just down to the physicality, down to the way she walks and the way she like in the scene where they're doing the capture of the flag, like even the way she wears her armor just feels like she embodies that character. And I, I just cannot, I, I mean, I just want to like hold up a sign that says you rule anytime she comes on screen. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm and, in a good way. Yeah. And what's really special too is Rick Riordan, we all know had a huge play in casting everyone. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you probably had the final say with all, all of the major roles, but specifically with Leah as uh, Annabeth, uh, Leah shared this with me when, when we spoke uh, during the LA junket, Rick told her, I chose you directly. Yes. Like how powerful is that to know that like one of the most iconic characters that this genius of Greek mythology created, he selected mm -hmm. you out of thousands of people who auditioned, thousands of people who probably did fairly decent in their audition, but out of everyone, it was you, Leah. Like that mm -hmm. weight of like, I don't want to call it like responsibility because it almost feels like a burden, but just like knowing that trust that's empowering mm -hmm. right there. And it's very clear the conversations like that behind the scenes translated on screen. Uh, we talk about Annabeth. I want to talk about some of the other characters we get to meet in this episode. Uh, my boy, 
my favorite character, Mr. Mr. Luke. I'm not going to say his last name because it is a revelation in the later yes. books. People people forget about this. He he's constantly named on like Wikipedia's and IMDb's as like Luke last name, and I'm like, mm -hmm. whoa, pump the brakes. I remember it being like a big deal when we learned Luke's last name. Um, Charlie Bushnell, I think, is going to be a superstar, and it's funny because what we're seeing right now is he's playing with like 10 percent of what luke is going to eventually get to work with um and in that sense uh, uh james said it to me uh, uh in a past interview the director he's charisma personified like he mm -hmm. he is that guy that percy would gravitate towards he is that guy that's going to be percy's brother for life and they're just going to have a lifelong everlasting friendship with no bumps or bruises it's going to be smooth sailing forever and that's all thanks to Charlie Bushnell's Luke performance. Um, when, when we're meeting Luke in the Hermes cabin and, and Luke is approaching uh, Percy and, and lending that helping hand and, and teaching him the ways of Camp Half-Blood and trying to find out what, what we're good at, uh, just how do you feel about, about Charlie's performance? He's just so cool. Like, he's just the chillest. I'm just like, I love it. And like, uh, he's just so chill and so cool. And I'm like, where did you come from? And why haven't you been in everything? Because it was just so smooth. And I'm like, I, I, he he really does set a tone for that friendship and you really can tell that it's something that Percy needs, but it also doesn't, it almost, I say this a lot. It doesn't feel like acting. It feels so natural between the, the players and the characters. And I just immediately was just like, yeah, I would trust whatever that kid said. I would trust that guy. I would trust that guy. He's so cool. And I just loved it. I, I love that. I also love that we get this, these disparate personalities and different reflections of the characters, especially for those of us who know what their parentages are and, and know, you know, think we, those of us who read the books and know what's coming. We, we kind of, it's like, this is so cool to see all the different personalities and the way they're translated. And yeah, Charlie as Luke is just so cool. Luke is a cool character and Charlie's a cool dude playing Luke. Like it's just so cool. And as an actor too, I am, so excited to see uh when he gets to play with some layers because right now he is very yes. he's very surface level of a character yeah. and to know you know where we're going to get more lines of dialogue we're going to get more interactions with different characters that is very intriguing for me uh, i want to talk about two of what i feel like are the character introduction highlights of this episode first we're going to talk about mr jason manzoukas as mr d dionysus yes. i don't know you mentioned leah possibly being the perfect casting for annabeth I don't know if there's been a more perfect casting mm -hmm. for a character from books to screen ever oh, yeah. than, than Jason Manzoukas, Manzoukas oh, yeah. excuse me, as Mr. D. Um, it, it, just everything, the, 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 the charisma, the mannerisms, the facial expressions, the, the conversation of, of pretending to be Percy's father killed me. Got me so good. Uh, uh, when, when, when Mr. D pops off those sunglasses, what's going through your head? I actually howled. I was so excited. I was just, I'm like, this is great. This is great. And the thing is like, I had forgotten he was cast as Mr. D. Like I had completely forgotten some of the casting when I went into the screeners and I just lost it. I'm just like, oh, this is good. This is good. And like, they didn't miss any details with that either. It's like, like the Diet Coke and everything is there. And I was just like, yes, yes. Like I'm excited. I'm excited to get more nuggets from that performance, like from that role, just in general, because I know we get a little bit more 
and I'm just excited to see where it goes because especially there's there's some play between him and, and Chiron that is super fun. Like the casting there is just like yes, it's like the the, the personality. It's it's exactly what you want it to be. And you're right, it is another case of this whole series is perfectly cast. I can't think of any character we've encountered so far that I've had to go, yeah, I would have put somebody else in that, or maybe somebody else could have done it. I just feel like, you know, they're just like, yep, yep, yep. It's, it's almost like they're collecting the infinity stones of perfect casting for this, because I could not have put together a better dream cast for this. But that role is another one that's right up there. It's special. And I'm glad you mentioned Chiron too, because I love the dynamic between Mr. D and Chiron, mm -hmm. especially when they're playing cards, you know, later yes. in the episode. This is this is a friendship that we don't need to have those lines of dialogue where it's like nope. nudging each other like, oh, we've known each other for 500 years and stuff like that. You like feel they, it. They, they show they don't tell. Uh, and literally the the playing cards, that was all it took for me to be like these two guys. Mm -hmm. They're they're old pals where like they'll butt heads a little bit, but they also know when to push each other's buttons and how to work off one another. Mr. D, though, is, one other thing I want to shout out about him is the subtlety of his like seriousness. Uh, that's when mm -hmm. Percy and Chiron go on their walk and Chiron's kind of explaining to Percy how camp works. And uh, Grover is like, you know, should we tell him? And then it, it, he turns yeah. around, camera focuses up on Mr. D and he's like, you got the boy to camp. You did your job. And like the, the seriousness and the severity with how he delivers that, I'm like, okay, no, this dude is still a god. Like that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I know he's comedic first and we, we are all used to reading Mr. D as this kind of like, happy-go-lucky jovial character but he know he knows how to turn on the regalness and the seriousness of reminding you hey the d stands for diana when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Isis, don't forget it. Absolutely. And there's definitely that whole like there's a position of authority here, even within the camp situation. Take away the take away the deity of it. He's also having to slip back into the nope, I, I've got to redirect this. And there's definitely that it kind of reminds you of those people who are, I'm your buddy, but I'm still your boss. And it, it was very seamless. And there's a little, and even the body language I thought was interesting. There's a little, there's a little subtle shift in his posture in that as well that is a a it's a credit to the acting um but it's also just really well done mm -hmm. and let's get into now the big highlight of the episode and I'm, I'm i'm not going exactly where you think i'm gonna go sure we can all mm -hmm. rave about capture the flag but to me the standout of this entire episode is miss dior goodjohn as clarice larue oh, oh yeah. my god like talk about just nailing presence as soon when she stepped on screen and she stood up to percy i was like yep that's clarice Yep, that's exactly mm -hmm. how I remember reading Clarice of like, this is the bully at camp who, who who's going to mess around with the new kids because she doesn't want to lose her spot. She knows yep. she likes being the top dog. She likes being the fiercest warrior uh, per se, even if she doesn't have right now the glory to back it up because Annabeth is racking up now, what, four wins in a row for Team Blue? Hoorah. Like when they when they did all the the what's it called? They raised the flags and all that. I was yes. like, let's go. This is this is awesome. Um, Clarice. That entire dynamic between her and Percy, her her trying to get him to ad admit him being a faulty 
Minotaur killer in the bathroom to Percy breaking her spear and that cry she lets out. Uh, how did you feel about, about Dior? Oh my God. I, I loved, again, the care. It's one of those things like, yeah, you, feel, you feel bad to say I loved the bully because, you know, you're not supposed to love the bully, but you, you do. Like, this, you're right. The second she comes on screen, you know. And it's this perfect mix of both ego and insecurity. And I think that's the important thing. Like, it's, it's the thing that we sometimes forget is that these are characters, especially this one who are, yeah, I'm, I'm the stuff, but they're also not sure that they're stuff, but they don't want anyone to know that feeling. And so that's why they're taking it out. Here's somebody that come up that is obviously insecure and puts their insecurities out there and they're kicking butt and took down a minotaur. No, that's not going to stand. And, and I, and I love the way that she just portrayed the, I'm the boss, even though that may not necessarily be really true. Because as we see, she's not one as much as Miss Annabeth has. And I just thought it was such a cool, you know, you don't want to mess with her, but you also want to know more about her. And I just can't get over how nuanced, it, can, it just comes back to it. They, the writing and the performances give all these characters such depth and nuance that I would not have expected in episode two. Like so many series, I feel like we take time to get into that, but we already, we're here. We're just dropped in. And that character in particular and that performance is just, we know everything we need to know about these characters from the get go. And we already have visceral reactions to it. Like I immediately was like, I don't like her, but I like her and I want to know more about her. And that's such good performances. Good performances and good writing give you that. It's just, everyone's knocking it out of the park. And I feel like I'm just a broken record saying everybody rules, but they do. And and part of the reason too, why, why Clarice has that, that bully blood coursing through her veins is because she is a daughter of Aries. Uh, and I wasn't yep. planning on tossing to this, but I feel like it's an appropriate time. Uh, we have a little bit of a Riptide Radio exclusive of Aries claiming Clarice on camera for the very first time at the blue carpet premiere of Percy Jackson. Check it out. Dior Goodjohn is so phenomenal in this show. Uh, I don't know if you're going to share any scenes with her this season. We don't have to get into that. But did you have any uh, conversations with her about your father-daughter relationship? None whatsoever. We still haven't met. That's how she's here. I know, and that's how you know the scope of this production. You, you realize like there's so many moving pieces. There's so many different moving parts. Hi, daughter. Hey. We're meeting for the first time. The first time. <laughs> On camera. Here we go. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. How are you? How are you? I'm good. Good. Thanks. Good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. That's my daughter. That's a pure um. right there. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're, you just met Adam Copeland for the first time. That, that, that was pretty surreal to see happen in front of my eyes. Awesome. You, are you familiar with his work in the squared circle? Yeah. Do you watch any matches? With my dad. My dad used to wrestle when he was in high school. So we would like watch wrestling together. And like, I knew of him. So when I figured out that he was my dad, I was like, why does this guy look so familiar? And then I go to his Instagram, and I'm like, oh, you're you. <laughs> Claimed on camera by comicbook.com's cameras at the blue carpet. We also saw another claiming on camera in this show that's right episode two ends with the trident above percy's head no little emoji trident no little little pitchfork above his head no full size eight foot trident something that would come crashing down and probably concuss him if it were able to sink to the ground uh nicole when percy gets claimed i just want to know how many hairs on your arms stood up because when it happened for me my entire body was just like goosebumps everywhere full and body chills I knew yeah. it was coming. 
Oh, same, same. I knew it was coming. It's like full body chills. It, it part, I think part of it, cause it is the giant freaking trident. And I'm just like, they, I'm, oh, I just got chills. Or, God, I just got chills again thinking about it. It's just, oh, you, you, you want to cheer and also freak out at the same time. It's, oh, it was just such a cool moment. And just also the look on Annabeth's face. It was just like, because <laughs> so Annabeth, perfect. Annabeth, we all knew was anticipating it because it was clear how she was watching him, and it was clear she had a hunch, yep. and that's the reason why she kicked him into the water. But still, yep. the fact of like, oh, I thought I was right, but I didn't realize what being right actually meant because mm -hmm. we got a forbidden child in camp now. Uh oh, last time a forbidden child yep. came our way, got turned into a tree. So, anyways, those are all of our thoughts on episodes one and two. But now to get some expert insight from the people who made this thing a live action reality. Showrunners Dan Schatz, John Steinberg, and director James Bobbin, an exclusive interview from Riptide Radio on the other side. The opening scene is so crucial to setting the tone of this series, and we get to experience that first Percy Jackson monologue in a state where we're revisiting that throughout the episode, that little dream sequence. Uh, James, I want to go to you for this first one. Talk to me about that creative process of starting with something so ominous uh, and continuing to water that scene throughout. Well. It's the book, isn't it? So obviously, you know, we, all of us love the book. And there was the idea of basically with John and Rick creating this idea of who he is. It was, real, it was a real process whereby we sort of sat down, John and Rick had this brilliant idea about telling the story of Percy up to this point, where he was, how he's got to where he is. Uh, and then really using that the dialogue in the book in a very gentle, subtle way, whereby we're hinting at it rather than giving it all away so soon. So it's very much a sort of setting up the world, really. I know a lot of fans were curious as to whether we're going to get a title card or a title sequence. Uh, what was kind of the creative process of deciding we're just going to hit us with the title and then get rolling into the show? Um, I think it was, um, you know, with the with that cold open, you know, really just really getting into hearing first voice right away, and then and then getting the the main title. I mean, the truth is, is like the title is so iconic that we just wouldn't, it's just like, you know where you are, you know the show you're about to see, and let's take you on that ride right away. Um, and also we wanted to spend time with our, our we call it main romance, the, the title at the end, um, to really just uh, have fun with it and you know, work with Imaginary Forces, amazing company, um, to really bring that to light, um, and all the details in there. And wanted the fans to be able to watch that and take the time and study it and, and and see all of the all of the, the mythology that's in there. So I think that's for us really better at the end to take that time rather than at the beginning where it's just like everybody's so ready for this story, let's do this. I was rewatching the the first two episodes this morning. I completely missed this while we were bringing Percy into his headmaster's office at Yancey Academy. Uh sitting to his right, we got Mr. Bronner sitting to his left. <laughs> I, I it went completely over my head when I first watched it. You can see he's sitting there perched like like, 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 yeah. his, like an oracle. Like he's like the it's like a Stan Lee cameo. Um why was that the right place to insert Rick considering we all expected him to have a cameo here somewhere. Uh, getting him in the episodes like, right at the very beginning, John, I'll go to you. I wrote him a six-page monologue. You know, I'd say he's so woven into the fabric of, of this fan community, this story, um, the, just the world, um, and they're inseparable. And, and it felt right to, um, to make sure that if you're watching this, you understand that we got that too. Um, and that his stamp is on this from the very beginning and all the way throughout. 
Of course, he also was a teacher. So, <laughs> he was a natural. He really was. And when he sits in that room with, with the headmaster and the other person, you know, it just felt, it feels like it's three teachers looking at you. Uh, uh, straight away. And so that was very, and that's why you noticed why, why you missed him. He's so convincing. That's why. <laughs> and he had to sit there all day. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was very, uh, I, he, I think he said, he said it was, this was a lie. Fucking, but I'm good. It's very dark lit room. It's very deliberately dark. That room is very thinly lit. It's very much the idea is the headmaster is almost in silhouette. And so both Mr. Brown and Rick are also in silhouette. So you can kind of hide them away. So you have to look for it. Because you don't want to just walk past camera. You have to be in the seat. So that's kind of why. Maybe we'll get a, a line of dialogue for the end of the season. So uh, uh, building off of that too, something I'm very fascinated about uh, is the overall pacing of this show. Uh, it's been said to so many times that the luxury plague uh, with Percy Jackson as an IP is bringing it into serialized television and having eight episodes, essentially, you know, up to eight hours uh, to tell this 370-page book. Um, but we're getting to Camp Affleck by the end of episode one. Uh, nothing feels rushed in that first episode. Obviously, there's a little bit more Yancey Academy uh, in the lighting team. Uh, why was it important for you guys to kind of hit the ground running with this first episode and make sure people were acclimated to the, the greater Greek world uh, without spending too much time behind the mist, so to speak. I think um, it, it's both of those things, right? I think you want to spend enough time with Percy and his mom um, so you understand the foundation of that relationship and be able to invest in it. Um, and at the same time, it's an adventure. And um, if I was 10 years old, I don't want to wait till episode four to get on my adventure. Um, and so you're just trying to balance both of those things. And, and they think in, in building it, um, it is eight episodes, but it is also in a way, I think, built the same way you would build a feature structurally. And it felt right that the end of the first act at the end of the second episode was the moment where our hero says, let's go. Um, and so I think that was one of the first flags that got planted in the ground and everything grew from that backwards and forwards to make sure that um, nothing felt too slow, but nothing felt rushed. And that once you um, once you get on the road, um, you feel like you're flying the rest of the way. Well, once we get to Camp Affleck, I asked you guys this question while we spoke in LA. Uh, all the guest stars that pop in, uh, the biggest one of them all, at least in the first two episodes for me, uh, was Mr. Jason Manzoukas as Mr. D. Uh, such a breath of lively energy. He gets this character. He understands this character. Uh, his presence on set, especially an actor like him who isn't bringing the visceral action that Nada Copeland would or the regalness that's been teased by Walker about Toby Stevens. Uh, what is someone like Jason Manzoukas bringing to this young ensemble? Uh, what kind of energy is he bringing for them? Fun. <laughs> I mean, he's just such a lovely guy. Uh, and he's hilarious at all times. And so I think both I could see Walker and Arlen just watching him before. Because obviously he also improvises brilliantly. So there's bits of that in there still. But he does out of it, frankly. And so for the kids, it's just fantastic watching something work like that and have idea after idea after idea, even though we nailed the script first. So he's very good at going off that stuff. And so I think for them, it was just a fun day on set, whatever is there. Uh, and so he brought a very a great sense of fun to the steps. You know, his friends certainly got to do that. But I, I always, when I read the book, I was sort of So it really felt like that's who it would be. And he really does bring, as I said, he kind of is that guy. And he just does a brilliant job. So I'm very happy. He came with that hair and the Yeah, he might be the, the unsung highlight of episode two, uh, but the main highlight that everyone's gonna be talking about is Cash the Fly. 
Oh, uh, you guys accomplished something that I feel like is so hard to do with a young adult book in the sense of you made it feel applicable for kids, but also you didn't shy away from the visceralness, uh, the, the heavy action, uh, some of the slicing index. What did he talk about? Uh, the way that Luke kind of points the sword at someone before telling them to stand down. Uh, towing that line, I'd just love to get to your heads creatively uh, of what decisions you have to kind of hold back on with the action and what stuff you're able to kind of push the envelope to. Uh, damn, it's some good. I mean, we just wanted to be real. I mean, real and grounded. And when these kids go at each other, they go at each other. Um, and uh, it was amazing. I remember lots doing it, which really helped. Um, uh, Walker always likes to talk about how he was so terrified of Clarice in, in, in that moment. Dude, I wasn't, yes. you know, like that whole scene after she's like screamed, that wasn't acting. <laughs> I was genuinely terrified that she was gonna like hurt me or something. And and he or has that thing where when she comes over that rock and and stares you down, uh, you want to run. Um, and it was you know with with the action. I mean, I'll, I'll let James speak about it. Um, directed it, but it it was um, we had a lot of kids. We had a lot of you know a lot of training. I mean, as Dan said, it's really about grounding that action. And given the action and the narrative, it's very important. Actually, this is how Percy learns. He's actually quite good at swordsmanship, and that's a very important part of that story. So for me, Walker, and also in a weird way, Walker's obviously at the same time learning how to use swords. So it's very true to his performance, actually, how he was physically offset. He was trying to learn how to be good with swords. So certainly at the beginning with Clarice, he's got no idea what he's doing. Funnily, his armor doesn't fit very well, which is, I love that too, the idea that he doesn't wear armor very well, and it's got a problem. Uh, and his head hops a bit too big, and that's something really good. But by the end, he's got some incredible moves, and also you sort of change the camera work accordingly. So the camera work, the beginning is quite loose, at the end is very precise. And that's basically, the camera tells you a story of how he's learning to, you know, to sort of fight for salt. Uh, and so it's, and also Carice's scream at the end is really helpful too, because Dior has a very powerful voice. And it's a genuinely chilling scream, because Obviously, that thing breaking in front of her is the worst thing she's ever seen, and that feels like that might have been it. It gives a real good button to the sequence. Uh, being there, and that's always helpful to have. So, that's just great. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's many, many days of filming. Incredible work by our, our fun team under Eli. Fantastic job of making that sequence work. And John's idea of having to fox. Yes. Was, yes, yes, was, yes, was, was, yes, was, was really the yeah. thing that, all right, first he's got some moves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah, can, yeah. He, can, uh, he can do this. Yeah, out of, out of all the Fortnite modes, I think, I think <laughs> flossing is definitely one that, that suits Percy well. Uh, uh, John, to come to you for this next one, before we build on the climactic moment of Capture the Flag, uh, I want to talk about something that's developed uh, beforehand, uh, Luke and Percy's relationship. This dynamic is some, I get chills just talking about it, because as a diehard fan, as a reader of these books, uh, I know where it goes, I know the nuances it has, and to revisit it at the very beginning, where it's so pure, but also so layered, is so fascinating. Uh, I'd love to just get into your head about uh, developing it, and what kind of direction you give uh, James in Los Angeles, what kind of direction you give Charlie. Uh, is this something where you're telling him, you know, hold back a little bit, you're, you're, you're full on, you know, you're the leader of the Harvey's camp, uh, camp right now, or are you telling him, you know, give us a little flavor of what we can expect for you uh, in later episodes, in later seasons? I, I think a villain is the most interesting when um, you can see the story from their point of view um, in a way in which they are acting both. Um, and I think it was, there were sort of two targets, I think, early in the story that were important. Um, one was to understand 
um, where Leaf was coming from before you really knew anything about it. You don't need to know anything about his, his father or his mother um, to understand that there's a little bit of irreverence there um, in a place that you would assume where everybody is fairly reverent um, in front of his charm. But I think when you, spoiler alert, um, get to the point at which you understand there's more than a little subversiveness there. And I think um, that you, it was important to everyone that you felt the tragedy of that relationship breaking up. And in order for that to happen, you have to care um, about Luke being Percy's first friend at Camp. Um, and an unlikely threat, the kid who immediately Percy assumes is going to be his bully here um, becomes a big brother. And I think, um, yeah, the, the, I mean, James can speak to this, but I think, um, you know, what, what Charlie was really successful with was in making you feel that there's, there's never a moment where he's lying to a person. Yeah, so I mean, obviously with this, this is a crucial part of the story. John's the right word, Charlie. Charlie is charisma personified. <laughs> he's like this guy. And it's very important because obviously he's subverted twice. Once at the beginning, we he's in a bully person, he doesn't actually go get us to him. And then obviously they're not bully. But so that character is very complex. And so I think often the best answer to that is just be, be truthful, be real. And that's John's, he's never, he's not lying. He's just who he is. And he's incredibly charming. And first, he's captivated by it, but also because he's naturally older, old boys, new boys, and stuff. They look up to him in that great way. Um, but I like spending time with Luke at the beginning. And that is one of my favorite characters in the whole book, so it's just my two favorite. So I really like being with that guy. And I can totally understand why Percy wants to be with him. Still, so to actually be with him, it feels like Luke is sort of model, you know. Uh, and so that is really important for the story moving forward, because obviously, yeah, I mean, something he's subverting to. I, I follow up on Instagram. He's wearing sleeves underneath that Camp Outlook shirt. I know that that dude's been tricked. <laughs> <laughs> he is ready to, you know, like, fans know when I say backbiter, they, they know that he's going to wield that thing uh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a mean way. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna name drop a, a pretty big character here, and, you know, you can speak on it if, you, if you're able to. Percy's having these dreams, and there's a boy speaking to him. Uh, and my mind immediately goes to Carlos. And when I hear when, uh, a voice like that, I think of a character like that, um, I think of the MCU, and I, I made a lot of comparisons to uh, Rick, Rick Riley being the Kevin Feige of this whole long bridge <laughs> building, this greater world where we're starting very small, there's there's the opportunity to go very big with it. And with a character like Thronos, I think of a character like Thanos. And we first see Thanos at the end credit scene of the first Avengers movie, uh, and he's played by a stuntman. Josh Brolin has not been even, you know, questioned about the target, um, and that's because they want to plant that seed, but not necessarily tie something somewhat to it uh, this that early in the process. So with a character like Kronos, like even if that is like the voice that we're hearing, it, is that something where you know, you're keeping it big because you don't want to identify it and, and paint that picture fully just yet? Or do you have in the back of your mind an idea uh, uh, of what that character will eventually come to be uh, in, in future seasons? I, I think it's big because it's big to the person. I, I think you, you, it's really important um, in, in every moment of the story to experience it through his point of view, to um, be confused by the things he's confused by, to be scared by the things he's scared by. Um, and I think in this moment, um, that voice and that presence is nothing but mystery and um, and something ominous is from a nightmare, ominous from labor. And um, I think, um, you know, that, that that's his job early on and, and hopefully, um, uh, with the help with one of our dearest friends, um, and we're in, um, doing that voice. It is, um, it's doing its job.
Very fair. That's one I definitely want to keep. Again, I, want, I want people to experience the series uh, like they're reading the book for the exactly. first time. Uh, uh, one final question to kind of wrap up this this whole first two episode arc. Uh, Percy gets clanked at the very end. Uh, and something a lot of people are, are pointing out on socials because we've seen the shot in the trailers is it's not like I've read the graphic novel as well and the graphic novel shows you an image of, of what you're picturing in your head it's a nice little little dragon it's like a little, an emoji size but said you guys went all out you guys <laughs> gave him a full size dragon right above his head made it very clear from the start uh, that this was a big deal the, the just creative decision to, to go that big with the tribe i know it sounds like a silly question but just fans are asking about it i i for me i wanted to have a scale because it felt important simple as that there's still a twinkly thing about a step bomber to go do anything for me it's got to be a thing that would hurt filling <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like a thing that had such importance because it's such an incredible moment and it's really you know it's that on that whole episode i'd say that is the biggest part of that the claiming is huge, and I felt that this that this claiming had to have similar weight to it. It's like if you are you are the world watching this happen. It's not the biggest secret in the story that he's the son of Poseidon. I think uh, I think even in the title, there's a trident in the title. But it, this is Percy's story, and this is his journey, and this is the game changing moment for this character as he's realizing uh, what he's a part of. So. Um, you know, we have obviously these really powerful earlier scenes, but this is the moment you just realize, I mean, go, and then also it was just kind of fun to put it out there, get everybody excited. But that is such a big part of this story. Yep. Yeah. I mean, here's hoping we get uh, a replica version that we can buy. Well, guys, I, I love this extended chat. I love getting to dive deep into the analysis of what we're getting here. And it's really cool that we're only at the beginning. Uh, so hopefully this is the start, obviously, of an eight episode journey, but of a much longer journey at play. Uh, I appreciate all your time, and we'll uh, see each other at the premiere. Yeah, just see. Thanks, Mom. You're welcome. Well, thank you, Dan, John, and James, for joining Riptide Radio on our very first episode. Loved hearing all of their insightful thoughts. Loved hearing what they're planning for the future, even beyond season one of Percy Jackson. That was pretty cool. Uh, Nicole, we're going into episode three. We're heading to Auntie M's. We're going on the quest. Uh, uh, what are you looking to experience in this next episode? Oh, my gosh. Um I'm excited to be on the quest because like the quest is where it's at, you know, like there's, I want to see, cause clearly we've got these three, the three personalities that are going on this quest. I, I want to, I'm, I'm excited to see how the trio gels. I, I want to see, I, I'm, I'm very excited cause this is, this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. Like I, I feel like everyone's in over their heads and I don't think they realize they're in over their heads yet. I mean, Maybe they do. I don't know. But I'm excited to see how, because you, you know, I mean, it's not a quest without challenges, right? Right? Surely they're going to run into something interesting on the way, right? I, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they start handling not only the challenges of the quest, but the challenges of working together. Because there's some personalities here. And also, yes. I, I just want to see Grover on the road. <laughs> And something I'm looking forward to as well is kind of like the double entendre of sending them into the deep end as characters. Sure, they're going out into the real world and, you know, some of them are experienced, some are, some are less experienced. But from an acting standpoint, before Walker, Leah and Aryan were all playing off of and sharing the screen with at least one veteran actor. Now we get oh. to see their true talents uh, at large it's when they're true. only sharing scenes with one another. So very much looking forward to episode three, very much looking to discussing episode three on Riptide Radio next week. Before we officially get out of here, though, I did just want to share some stories from the crazy past week 
of press that Percy Jackson has been on. Uh, I was very fortunate to attend the LA junket where we spoke with Walker, Leah, and Arian. We spoke with John and Dan. Uh, you guys saw those interviews. You saw the heads up game. Thank you again for making that heads up video so successful. Uh, 50,000 views and climbing one of comic books, biggest videos of the year uh, that genuinely means the world to me. So thank you so much for that. Um, but it was really cool to just kind of go on this journey in different parts of the States. Like we started in LA and then New York for the premiere and the premiere was such a surreal experience. The carpet was great. You saw that carpet video on comic books, main YouTube channel. Uh, the reception afterwards, which was essentially just like an after party in the Met Museum, had so many great conversations with, with all the different actors. Uh, me and Charlie talked about our gym splits. Uh, me and Walker <laughs> talked about Fortnite. Like these kids are just kids at the end of the day. And it's so cool to like see that this project for them is like when I joined like theater guild in high school of like, this is just my like after school project. And it's the same thing for them on just a much larger scale. None of them have been like inundated by the Hollywood lifestyle or anything. They're just purely having fun. Uh, and that's super special. One thing I did want to share though, a parting gift they gave us from attending the premiere. Look at this bad boy. Oh yeah. The end credits of Percy Jackson in full glory. Oh my God. It's beautiful. I really hope they sell this online somewhere. I was going to say, because just leave your window open and, you know, the door unlocked. <laughs> I'm just not going to sneak in and steal. Oh, that's so cool. The detail in this thing. I, I'm going to be hyper analyzing this for many, many days to come. And I feel As like you should. there's going to be revelations about it in the later episodes once we start to know what some of those things mean and what some of those locations turn out to be. Um, but anyways, guys, that is it for Riptide Radio episode one. Thank you all for willing this show into existence. It, it is not possible without the amazing Percy Jackson community that exists out there. And, you know, in order to keep this thing going, we need to make sure the numbers are strong. So like, comment, subscribe, all the nine yards. It would really, really make my day. It would make Nicole's day as well. Nicole, who wrote the four and a half, five, four and a half star review on comicbook.com. This thing is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes because yeah. of people like Nicole. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me on this first episode. Where can people find you on socials? Um, on the app formerly known as Twitter, I am Life in Polaroid. Everybody, el everywhere else, I am the Nicole Drum. That's where you can find me, and you can probably find me screaming about how much I love this show. I love and telling it. people to read the books because the books yes. are phenomenal. Read and them; they're phenomenal. And that's my hesitancy because since this thing is so accurate, I'm like, watch the show first. Don't spoil yourself. But at the same time, don't neglect the book because the book read is... slowly, read slowly. Yeah, read read as as the weeks go on. Read in real mm -hmm. time. I think that could be a very unique experience. Yeah. Uh, as for me, I'm at Liam T Crowley on all socials: Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Most primarily on Instagram these days uh, for all exclusive interview clips and stuff like that. Keep it locked to comic book socials. Keep it locked to my socials as well. Uh, and stay tuned for what is going to be our show next week because. We're in the works of getting, you know, another special guest. Nothing is locked down yet, so I can't tell you who it could be. But if it comes to fruition, it would be pretty cool. Um, anyways, guys, that is Riptide Radio Episode 1. Thank you all so, so much for joining us, and we will see you all next week.